Hey, Matthew 2, let's jump into Matthew chapter 2. We'll work through that tonight. We'll take it in portions, so to speak. We'll read one verse, go with 1 through 6 to start with, and then go back and look at that in a little more detail. It reads in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right, so there we're we're told the context. Obviously, um, spent a little time in chapter 1 last week and even on Sunday. So it was after Jesus was born. They're in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not a big city. It's, um, it's, it's probably bigger now because of the commercialization, because uh, so many Christians at one time, you know, it was like majority of it was Christian. It's not now. Um, but it, it, in, in Jesus' day, it was not a big city. There was a big guy there, though, around the area in Jerusalem. It was a guy by the name of Herod, Herod the king. Herod the Great, a little over four foot tall, a little guy with great ability, great ability, and terrible paranoia. He built these great buildings, you know, uh, he was a part of, well, uh, the Fortress Masada. Uh, He put that together, if you're familiar with it. Um, Obviously the temple, just a lot of things. Even his enemies were amazed at his, his ability uh, for design and actually getting things accomplished, his political um, maneuvering and wisdom. Um, he built great buildings, yet destroyed his own family. He was so, like, paranoid. He was so, just an evil guy, quite honestly. And the Roman emperor, Augustus, is said to have commented about Herod, it's safer to be his pig than to be his son. Because Herod, being so paranoid, feared the people around him, and, and he thought they were all plotting against him, and so he had his wife, Miriam, and most of his son and his staff killed. To the point where, when he was close to death, he realized, really, ultimately, how horrible he was, and he knew nobody would mourn him. There would not be a tear of sorrow shed, many of joy. And so he's so tweaked and so, like, I believe, demonically influenced that he had several of the Jewish leaders arrested and his military, his, um, you know, security force, was the day he died, they were supposed to kill these Jewish leaders and they were supposed to kill the other, part, other members of his cabinet so there would be great sorrow. That's messed up. And thankfully, those in the cabinet side, I'm not, I, don't, I didn't get definitively what happened with the Jewish people, the chief priests and some of those that were arrested. But those on the cabinet side, like, 
She's dead. What's he going to do about it if we don't follow through on his order? You know what I mean? So they didn't actually kill all the people. But that gives you an insight into this guy's thinking. And, and he was just a really messed up man. The whole family, you know, there's several Herods that you'll read about uh, in, in the Scripture. But so this guy is in Jerusalem, and now these magi, these guys that have seen a star in the east, and now they have came there to kind of figure it out. Now, many believe that the wise men, the magi, you know, these astronomers with an astrological inclination, they're, they're a very large, there's probably a very large caravan entourage of travelers, um, probably caught note with many people. We're told in verse 2, they come to, to Herod and said, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Given us an insight where they came from. And there's much study outside of scripture who they are. Many believe the Magi's, their interest in Jewish scripture, came through Daniel and his time in captivity as it's recorded in the book of Daniel. So you remember Daniel was a servant in functionally um, the Persian government during the Babylonian captivity. And so the word, the thought there that I want to encourage you is the word of God is broadcast through his people for all generations. When Daniel and his friends are choosing to live for God and they're choosing to, to kind of really take, take risks to serve God. And then we can read the story of Daniel and, and pick up on it. When they're doing that, they're not thinking, okay, years later, this could be a part of how the, the, the proclamation and the declaration of the Messiah will be unveiled. See, you know what I'm saying? They're just, they're just doing life. We're just doing life in, in, a, in a certain degree. And I just want to encourage you, you know, it's, it's the same throughout all generations. We live out the word. We want to live out the love that's within us, the love that's been given to us in such a way that honors God. And in honoring God that way, it impacts people in our generation. You're impacted by people from the previous generations. There's somebody maybe three generations ago that was a solid grandma or a solid grandpa and really brought the truth and the word to their children and to their grandchildren, and they embraced it and they seen it and they handed it off to the next generation. And some of us are here because of that person. Some of them were prayer warriors, and they lived out the Word of God, not thinking that they'd be mentioned in some book later. They'll be mentioned. They're in a book, but we'll get to heaven, and we'll get to all review that book, of course. You know, we know which book that is. So anyway, I want to encourage you, just be aware. As we go through this historical record, let's pull out, as I've mentioned, these little points to, to kind of let embed and, and plant and, and, and soak within us. So they've gone there to um, find out what's going on, and what do they say to Herod? But we're told in verse 1 was the king. We're, we're wondering where's he who's born king of the Jews? To an insecure, paranoid, you know, yeah, short guy compensating for his height. I don't know what's going on, but he just seems to be really tweaked. Guess what he's going to do? Like, oh, hey, yeah, I'd like to know about that guy too. I'd love to worship him. Because really, functionally, I mean, he, he's implying that, that he wants to, 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 to worship him as well. Where is, and we've come to see he's been born king of the Jews. We, here's what happened. There's a star in the east. We don't know what the star was. 
I, I believe it's, it was a phenomenon. I believe it was just something at that time. Um, we're not given enough insight. We're not given enough details. Uh, but there is some interesting things because they, they, it, it, they studied the stars. They were aware of what's there on a regular basis. But something was unique. Something appeared in such a fashion that they felt compelled. Maybe there was the knowledge of the Jewish scripture. Maybe they had been studying that and trying to figure out oh, how this all fit with mythology and zodiology and astrology and all these things which weren't called that then, but we know what it is. Maybe they're like, man, we just, we got to go. Let's go check it out. Something visual, something compelled them and moved them. And so they came, and of course, in verse 3, when Herod heard, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod, the greatly insecure one, was troubled. Who is this that's going to challenge my kingship? The Jews? He really didn't have much respect for them. Some have implied he had an interest, which is reasonable to consider. But I believe he was just a master politically. And he knew how to work like many in our system in this nation. They know how to work both ends against the middle to imply that they're whoever they want to favor them, they can know how to work it. And I think that's really ultimately what was happening here. Bottom line is, all Jerusalem was troubled. Why? Jerusalem's pretty big, Bethlehem's small. Because when a tyrant is troubled, everyone's concerned. When, when you have a really bad leadership, then everyone's concerned. And when that leader is whacked, and, and this is not the system we have, where we have a form, at least by by paper, we have a form of citizen involvement, at least. There you didn't. You know, this guy just, was, as I've already said, killed people just because they looked at him wrong or whatever. So he, everyone's concerned. Verse 4, And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. See, he's, it seems on one side he's interested. But understand, Herod had a political interest in Scripture, not a personal interest. Just like you hear from, from, you're going to hear it in 2024, you're going to hear a lot who will align and present themselves to be some form of Christian to get the Christian vote. And, and then they'll vacillate to be another representation. They'll do whatever to get the vote. Well, Herod has, he doesn't have a personal interest. He sought to know so that he could use the information for political preservation. And so, who's he go to? The chief priests and the scribes. These are the ones who, who should know. These are the, they were the ones that, they were the guardians of the Old Testament, if you want to think about it that way. They were the ones to, to look and see how is this to be lived out, and how is it accurate? Is this truthful? So the scribes, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had important jobs. Problem is, they, they weren't interested in the subject they were experts on. They were just experts. They didn't really have a personal interest. And we see that, you know, when, when they show no personal interest in Scripture, and it's sad because it's true even today that the scholarly often will search with their minds but close their hearts. When you study the Bible and maybe you get into commentaries and you look into various aspects of translation and the different texts and all this different stuff, you'll, you'll notice there's, this, there's a scholarly tilt, and, and I'm not other words I could use, academia or other things. The, the, the intellect is stimulated, but the heart is hardened. So they'll tell you the intellectual side, but they're, they're not interested in it. And, and I think it's true even in, 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 in gatherings in, 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 that are under the title of the church, or even in Christian church gatherings, 
there's sometimes people that just they're just interested in the knowledge, but but their hearts really are not open to to the truth of forgiveness, to the need of a savior. Because those in Jesus' day, remember, he walked among them. He discussed with them. And there's very few. We have Joseph of Arimathea, who seems to have a a solid position in the Jewish community, which he turned, seems to have turned to the Lord. We obviously have Nicodemus, who was one of the leaders who who came to Jesus to literally be able to talk one-on-one. And that's a beautiful dialogue we have in, in John 3 that we read about. And so just be aware, you know, now notice it says in verse 5, they said to him, they pulled out of the scripture. They knew this verse. They found it. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew this. he's going to come from Bethlehem. But it doesn't tell us that any of the scribes and chief priests went to Bethlehem to see if this was so. But what does the Bible tell us? What did Jesus say? Jesus said concerning prophecy, which is what's inserted here by the Holy Spirit through the hand of Matthew. Jesus said, in regards to things to come, I've told you these things beforehand so that when they come to pass, you may believe. See, that's the beautiful element, one of the many beautiful elements of prophecy. It helps put our mind at ease because when we kind of, well, this is how, and then you read, okay, well, this was this is a fulfillment of what God said hundreds of years, and now it's fulfilled. And that could put our mind at ease a little bit. Now, as we see here, um, you know, the, the story continues, and we'll pick up in verse 7 and read through 12. Then Herod, when he'd secretly called the wise men, determined from them, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So Herod, as he listens to what the scribes have to say, then he he, he called these the, the, the magi, the wise men, and he determined from them what time they seen the star. So he's cross-checking the, the facts. He's taken the facts I've got here out of Jewish scripture. We got these people that come from the east that are saying now is the time. And so he you see how, how wise he was? Because he's just he's right, he's got a play. He's not looking to, to to be under the lordship of God. He's just he thinks he actually is one of the gods. So he cross-checks the Jewish authority with the timing of the star to figure out the birth time of the Messiah Jesus. And so in verse 8, you know, he sent them. They're sent south and east of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And they're going where the chief priests and scribes said the Messiah would be born. I noticed something reading through it this week or today even that I hadn't caught for some reason. I didn't pay much attention to before. It's not until they meet Jesus. It's after that that an angel appears to them and warns them to go a different way. Isn't that interesting? 
Because they're not, they're not directed by angels to this point. God uses different means and different methods to convey uh, truth and, and you know stir them. And they go to, to Herod, and Herod brings in the Jews, and, and they have this conversation, and they figure out, well, let's get over to Bethlehem. That looks like this was where it's all going down. But when they get to Bethlehem, we see in verse 9, when they, heard the king, when, they, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came over and stood over where the young child was. It didn't go to the manger. I mean, it didn't go to, to where the birthplace, the actual, you know, type of corral or a cave in all probability where Jesus was delivered, was born. And so what we see here is the phenomena of this star. The star, how there's something visual there. The wording tells us there's something more than just a distant star we haven't seen before. Let's go that direction for a few weeks until we figure out where we're at. You see, now after talking and getting more information, now this star, there, there's something God's doing to lead them, even though they've had this word. They're, okay, now we go here. And our lives have some similarities. Track with me on this. There's times that we have a sense of what to do. We have a personal perception. And then we have experience clarified by Scripture to give us instruction and direction. So we have a perception. Maybe I think I really should be doing this. And so we, we ultimately go to the Word, which is kind of what happened. They ended up in the Word. The Word gives us clarity. It even gives us direction. And now we have, okay, now I can go. I, I get it. This is what this was all about. This is what, where I should be plugged in. This is what I should be doing. Okay, I'm getting it piece by piece, a little by little. So I want to encourage you in that regard. These guys, they're just rolling with it. You know, they're pretty serious. They've, they've made a big commitment. They, they, it's a passion of theirs, whether it's their study, their ology, whichever one you want to fit it into, um, or just a, something stirring within their hearts. But what's interesting is you, you've probably seen, you know, in verse 10, um, they saw the star. They rejoiced with exceedingly and great joy. There's, there's a confirmation that this is where they're to go. Notice in verse 11, they come to, to the house where the young child was. And when they had worshipped him, you know, they, they presented gifts. This, this young child they worshipped. You notice that worship also involved giving of what's valuable to you. They worshipped. They literally adored. They recognized I'm not saying that they understood he was God, but they worshiped because they knew this was a divine thing. And they brought what was valuable to them and presented it to him. And, you know, we can, I could jump on this and use this as an opportunity to pass a plate and squeeze money out of people, but we just don't work that way. But I will say this the most valuable thing you have should be used as worship to God. The most valuable thing you have is your life. It's the one thing that you have that no one can take away from you. It's the one thing that you, you can worship God with. So that helps us to, to turn away from the things of this world. It helps frees us from various addictions and temptations and tilts and behaviors and inclinations and weaknesses. Like, you know, I'm just going to offer this my life as an act of worship. Present yourself, it's just, it just says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you know, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. 
And it says in one translation, which is your reasonable act of worship. It's a, it's a form of worship that we just give our lives. And, you know, when we're giving our lives to the Lord, then the other things that the decor of life, the furnishings of life and whatever, it's no problem in portion, you know, portioning that out to the Lord as well. Verse 12, notice here these um, men from the east. They went through what we've read through, and then they're warned that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Divine involvement and free will. So they were instructed. It, wasn't, it doesn't say that they were translated. So they were here, and then God just, re, you know, uh, Star trek them home, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? They were given instruction, don't go that way. Do not go back to the little giant. Do not go back to Herod. Go this other way. And they may even been told even more detail, but it just says they're warned they should not return to Herod. I think because they're wise men, they understand. Because, you know, when you're around despots or tyrants or, you know, people that are really in their own little kingdom realm, they just have to have their way all the time, you pick up on it. And I'm just going to suggest that they've been through, they've traveled far enough, they've been, they've had to deal with things, and they're like, you know, I, we know that this guy, but that didn't compel them to go the other way. Logic didn't compel them. What compelled them? The warning, divinely warned in a dream. There's something in that dream like, you know what, we're not, we're not, we're not going to go that way. And so they were warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. Picking up in verse 13 now. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he, arose, then, yeah, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. And so the wise men, I mentioned earlier that they... The, an angel had spoke to him, but really we, we see it was a dream that they were compelled by. Joseph, an angel of the Lord, appeared in the dream. And I don't know how all these things unfold. I don't know how they merge together. I don't know how they manifest. But it's very personal. It's very gracious. And it's very clear. And so he he understood, okay, this is what's going on. You know, um, I, I wonder between chapter or verse 12 and before the start of verse 13, what the conversation was. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were just scratching their heads. Like, uh, uh, that's, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I just, you know, I, I, <laughs> what is this all about? And then they received clear instruction. And they have travel cash. Because, see, when they went to the first time, they had to travel and they went to, to Bethlehem. Remember, they didn't have anything. I mean, they had. They, not only was there not anything available, they probably didn't have any resources to 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 get a place to stay. And now, gold, frankincense, and myrrh—literally the money, the commerce of the day. Many believe that Joseph was able to spend this time in relocating, because you'll come back to Bethlehem later. 
um, basically they were to live off what these guys had brought them. We really don't know the uh, comparative monetary value, but it is an interesting thought. But can you see what's happening? And they're like, this is a lot of money, Joe. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Of, we've never had this. This is, what is it? Wait a minute, this, we know this is of the Lord. And, and, and they worshiped and they, you know, here two years went by and they're, they're raising the Messiah. I don't know if you can, like, without feeling sacrilegious, I don't know if you can put your imaginative mind into what it's like to change in his diaper. What it's like to, to have in him. I, I've seen a, a beautiful card. I love it. I'm not going to get a picture of it. Here's a, a, a presentation of Joseph working as a carpenter. And here's this little baby in, in clothes, you know, with a little tool kind of just banging on something. Like he's learning from the carpenter. And he will be known as the carpenter. They're, they're doing life. And then these guys show up, this entourage, this, this, these foreigners find your house and go, hey, is that Jesus? I mean, they're like, is this the, is this the one? And you're like, flashbacks to the night of his birth when the shepherds came in and all that unfolded. And you're like, wow. And then... Maybe you lay down that night and Joseph wakes up wide-eyed. We got to go. We got to go. Mary's like, what? We got to go. Yeah, we got to go. I just had a dream. The angel of the Lord spoke to me. Herod put a hit on our son. He's going to kill him. We got to go. Because literally, it, you know, he would say, rise, take your son, you know, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Still processing that one. Because Egypt is the world. Egypt, often in Scripture, it's symbolic. It's representative of the world. But there's ways I'm working through as I'm processing all of this and the reality of it. That he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He, too, is in this world but not of this world. And so here he's going to go to Jesus as a child and with the family is going to go to Egypt. Notice in verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child. They're given enough information to respond in obedience. They weren't told a lot. They were told enough. Go with what you know and give room for faith to grow. When you're prompted, when there's this instruction from the Lord, when there's a sense of clarity, you, you confirm it with Scripture, but when you when it kind of sets, like, oh, go with what you know and give room for faith to grow. Because there's got to be that room. There's enough faith given to you to take that first step. But you and I most often say, when we're questioning and quizzing and trying to discern the Word of God, the will of God for a critical decision, a relocation, a relationship, finances, whatever, we're like, ah. we're, 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 I have never had a moment where I have not been given enough uh, instruction to at least be obedient. Sometimes instruction is just to be in the Word, to know His Word, so then when I have to make a decision, I'll, I'll have a sense of direction. So I want to encourage you, go with what you know and give room for faith to grow. Because where fear can terrify, faith can mobilize. They had plenty to be afraid of, correct? 
You're the, the one of the, the one of the craziest leaders, like really murderous people. Herod the Great is, is looking for your son. He's got almost unlimited resources of the day to find him, to kill him. That would be terrifying. How 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 would you even know how to move about and go and you know, and yet, where fear can lock you down, genuine faith will build you up. It's like, okay, I got it. I, I fear is just, I'm just thinking about this too much. I just, okay, here we go. I know where to go to Egypt. As clear as I know your name, Mary, that, that I know that. And the reason we're to go is because we got to get away from Herod's jurisdiction. We've got to get away from this guy. And so he departed until the death of Herod. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. God didn't say, Joseph. You and Mary need to leave to fulfill a prophecy, go to Egypt. You th- that might have been enough to compel them, right? <laughs> but in the practical reality and the principle to be understood in this generation and this time, they were given enough information to obey, and they're encouraged to go. Verse 15 reminds you and me because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. We don't think of it this way very often, but it's important to hold this truth. You and I, we are living in the fulfillment of prophecy. The prophecy of, of Matthew one twenty one: She will bring forth the Son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. We're living in that prophecy. That was spoken prophetically and is being fulfilled in our lives. Emmanuel, God with us. In our struggles and trials and the things that come upon us, it's sometimes hard to remember that. But realize, we also are living in the fulfillment of prophecy. God's word is coming true day after day after day. And we're seeing a lot unfold, which we know more um, full prophecies will be fulfilled soon. Let's wrap up this last section, verse 16. Then Herod, or two sections, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all districts from two years old and under, according to the time which we had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This prophecy of Jeremiah there in verse 18 was fulfilled contemporarily at the time of uh, with, with Rachel. But it's also fulfilled, as, as you see here, as many prophecies have a contemporary fulfillment of the time of the writing or the prophetic declaration. Then there's a future fulfillment frequently and often a messianic fulfillment to even come from there. So this one we, we see was, was fulfilled um, contemporarily, and then at this time as well, you uh, something to ponder. Um, Rachel, Rachel died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, and so she is, was buried. Her tomb is in Bethlehem. It's interesting how things all start fitting together. There's fascinating parts to it. But in verse sixteen, we see Satan is obsessed with death. Hatred brings death. Fear makes people irrational. And 
the sad fact that we have a hard time sorting out and working through our mind. Killing children is Satan's trademark. Killing children is Satan's trademark. It was then and it is now. You remember Moses, correct? A lot of babies died at that time. Uh, We could go through the history of Israel and see many attempts. We see even Israel giving over to foreign gods when God told them not to. And being given over to those foreign gods, they're under the sway and the, the influence of those gods. And they, they sacrifice their own children on these idols. Killing children is Satan's trademark even today. And we just got to recognize it because, quite honestly, he hates human beings. And it's very simple. He got expelled, booted out of heaven because of his pride. And we are created in the image and likeness of God. The very existence of humanity individually is, it just irritates him. And his perception is, if I just kill them all, it'll solve it, which it, he, he does, it doesn't. You know, because he understands eternity. Even, even the demons understand eternity. The demons are the ones that said to, to Jesus, have you come to destroy us before our time? Remember that? In the spiritual realm, some of them understand their timeline. And as sad and as hard as death is, Scripture tells us in advance that this will happen. We're told for humanity, from the moment you rebel against God, from the moment you turn from God's lordship, that when you, Adam, when you, Eve, when you rebel, death will enter the world. Well, you might say, well, did they know what death was? Yes, they did. They didn't see it. But God didn't say it and let them describe what it was. He made it very clear to them. But death entered the world. When? When mankind rebelled against God. Death entered the world. And and you and I live in a death-infested world. And it's very hard. It it is heart-wrenching. It's hard to see people divisive over wars. Because there's never a winner in war. There's never a winner. There's never even, you know, among humanity, I don't believe there's ever really a right side. Because it's, it's, it's such a, it's just, it's, so, it's just a death obsession. War is horrible. But you also are supposed to defend those you love. You're also supposed to stand for truth and hope and justice and life. And, and you know, anyway, I don't want to get into all that one. I kind of want to, but I won't. <laughs> um, where are we at? Verse 19, we've got to finish it. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life were dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So verses 19 and 20, we see God directing the steps of his people. He speaks to Joseph. Once again, an angel of the Lord appears in a dream. Give him instruction. Verse 21, he arose. Know how to obey. You won't know everything, 
but you will know enough to obey. Know how to obey. And at the same time, you see in verse 22, he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea. Did the fear immobilize him? It doesn't seem to. Is that a fear that mobilizes immobilize, or is it a is it is it wisdom while being obedient? Because I think we're to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We're to be aware of the world we live in. And so as he comes back, he realizes Herod's gone, but the phonics of this guy's name, Archelaus. <laughs> I mean, he just he's, he was as actually wicked probably as his dad or worse. He had one son after that that was not, he was kind of a little, I don't know, wasn't as bad, put it that way. So, whether it's a realization, oh no, if I go this way, this guy will get us. We do know one, one thing happened. He worked it out and he obeyed. He actually went. He, he went and they know, the, and guess where, where they ended up? In Nazareth. Probably where they met in the first place, Mary and Joseph. They're back to Nazareth. Pretty interesting story, I think. All this to say, God's word is always true. God accomplishes his purposes and invites us to be a part of the great things he's doing. He went back to Nazareth, that it would be fulfilled. The prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. Nazareth was a nothing town. It was all, you know, it was to that portion of Galilee... Israel, what mountain home is to the northwest. Just a spot. You know, not a very big dot. We don't even have a dark circle on the map. We have a little pin mark, if you know what I'm talking about for for maps. But so what? You know, God does great things in people, regardless of where they're gathered. Let's pray. God, thank you for this walk through and work through and uh, as you have just opened our eyes to you to even more and lord may we be encouraged by the historical record by the principles embedded within as you dwell among your people as you god with us lead us and direct us may we never forget the price you paid for our salvation what you did that we may live and even be able to now, under your guidance and direction, comprehend your word, be impacted by your presence, and have our lives transformed for purpose. That you, God, would do in us and through us all that you desire. May we just enjoy the journey, keeping our eyes on you. As we celebrate not just your birth, but your life, your victory, who you are, God. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.